This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Clyde Snow and Sessions, based in Salt Lake City with offices in Oregon and California. For over 65 years, Clyde Snow has represented clients throughout the West. Clyde Snow, serious about solutions. Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water into context. I'm Emily Lewis, your host, and I'm a water attorney here in Salt Lake City, Utah, practicing creative solutions to today's and tomorrow's water problems. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to the 28th episode of Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water in context. Today, I have with me Brian Jackson, and Brian is the Senior Manager at the Environmental Defense Fund's Ecosystem Program, and he also works in their Western Waters team. I wanted to have Brian on today because it seems like from kind of some of his writings, and again, um, LinkedIn, which I, I love the LinkedIn posts, he had his fingers in kind of a couple of very interesting topics, one of which I thought would be beneficial to talk about for Utah is kind of taxing for water finance, because that's something that Utah talks a lot about and that Colorado's experimented with. But it also sounds like EDF has a whole host of very interesting projects going on. With that, Brian, if you could just kind of give me a little bit of a background or give our listeners a little background of kind of like um, what your education is, you know, kind of what the kind of work you do. Um, and then let's talk about some of your projects. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me on. So, yes, my name is Brian Jackson. I live and work in Denver, Colorado. I'm from Colorado. I've been at EDF next month. It'll be 15 years. Before that, it was uh, the University of Colorado and did a master's in applied economics at Johns Hopkins. But I quickly stopped using any of my academics and just tried to become a people person and connect some of our most pressing environmental problems um, and connect those with people and figure out how do we build more advocates and stronger coalitions for solving our our biggest problem. So, you know, not the small ones though. We only go for the big ones. Yes, exactly. So yeah, most recently it's been a bit of a political game and going to voters on uh, a few different tax measures, Mm -hmm. but also just trying to figure out, I I think a, a theme for the last 10 years, at least in my work has been connecting, uh, people who should care, but have no idea with an issue and, and turning them into knowledgeable advocates to go, go find change. So, so, how, so EDF, so Environmental Defense Fund, is that, so I'm assuming then like your real primary role then is like advocacy, you know, like you're advocating for a current, for a, for an issue or a, yes. um, a project or a theme. Is that all that EDF does or do you do um, kind of what is, would you kind of just give us a little bit of a background of kind of like what the mission of the organization is? Environmental Defense Fund is a now global environmental advocacy group. We connect law, science, and economics to solve our issues. We're a pretty pragmatic bunch. Often find ourselves working with strange bedfellows, as they say. So, you know, some of our famous work 20 years ago before I was EDF was you know working with McDonald's and changing packaging at McDonald's, um, working with FedEx. Now we have a huge focus on climate. Uh, we have a huge focus on sustainable fisheries management in the mm-hmm. world's oceans. And I work on our ecosystems team, which is looking at kind of how do we keep people in nature resilient to uh, all these changes that we're seeing, whether it's climate change or 
just, you know, environmental degradation or restoration that we, that we need. It's been great. I've 15 years in, I can't find a reason to leave. <laughs> no, I think that sounds like really good work to be doing. <laughs> awesome. It's really the best work to be doing, honestly. It's, it's the work that needs to be done. So yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. So, you know, it seems like your role is as an advocacy person, you're, it looks like you kind of move around between different kinds of topics, which is cool because then you're kind of basically like applying a set of kind of public engagement tools to a bunch of different substantive topics. So you get to learn a lot, I bet, about different things. What mm-hmm. are some projects that you're kind of like, what's like a specific project that's kind of like in your wheelhouse right now? Well, the, the biggest thing, I think, and I think why you gave me a shout Five years ago, Colorado finished its first water plan. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Utah, um, but that was groundbreaking in, in Colorado was the first. And five years ago, they said, all right, there's all kinds of things that the state of Colorado needs to be doing to ensure that we've got enough water for people, but also have enough water in our rivers and streams to keep Colorado the world-class place it is to live, work, and rec- recreate. Um, yeah. So Don't worry, we tell that, everybody to move to Colorado. Yeah. We tell everybody to move to Colorado. No, Colorado's great. You should totally go there. Absolutely. You <laughs> exactly. would love Denver. Denver's a great place for you to live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like, kid. You know, try Idaho. <laughs> yeah. Post-pandemic. Um, post-pandemic, it's going to look all different. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So that water plan identified a bunch of interesting strategies, interesting goals, it also identified this not insignificant, but not Herculean funding gap. Mm-hmm. And it said, look, there's, there's a lot that needs to be done. A lot of that is supported with things that have rate payers. So, you know, we're going to need upgrades to uh, municipal water. We're going to need a whole host of things that, that have funding sources. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of important stuff that we need to do. Stream management and stream restoration, some conservation efforts, some multi-beneficial projects. And those things don't necessarily have a funding stream. And that was estimated. And it was a pretty back-of-the-envelope estimate of saying, hey, we need $100 million a year. Oh, man. That's not a Colorado. small amount. Okay. It's not a small amount, but it's, you know, Colorado mm-hmm. has some really big fiscal challenges. Mm-hmm. We're really low on school funding. We're really bad on funding of our roads and bridges and infrastructure mm-hmm. because we have strange taxation laws. Every year those things are on the ballot and every year they get handed down because they say, hey, shall taxes be increased a billion dollars a year for our schools? Mm-hmm. People are like, yeah, I love kids, but no, I'm not going to vote for that. So $100 million for water is, is a big number. Mm-hmm but it's not a billion dollars. No, it's not a billion. And honestly, some of the costs that we're talking about to really get a lot done are in the billions. Okay, so can I stop you right there for a second, Brian? So basically what you're saying is that you know, Colorado did this big water plan in like 2015. Utah did something in tw- similar in 2017, and it's been a really useful document. You know, basically they identified kind of like what was going to happen over the next period of time. Um, you kind of identified specific needs and wants, and then a lot of it, and then the document identified a funding gap. 
And so this gap is to basically, though, is for very specific kind of infrastructure that's not related to a taxpayer or rate base. So basically, it's not going to be like municipal upgrades that have, you know, their, their citizens pay, or it's not going to be like, you know, conservation district improvements that have, you know, they're paid through taxes. This is kind of outside that system. So kind of more along ecosystem services lines, like more kind of like yep. the natural environment, essentially, like the bucket of natural improvements. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Yep. Awesome. I think a hundred million dollars a year sounds great. I'd take that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sadly, Colorado doesn't print money. No, no. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. So with that little summary there, can you kind of take us back then to kind of like this need was identified by the report and then how did you guys go about actually like, what does this tax look like? Cause doesn't it have kind of an interesting background of what is the tax base for this, this funding for water? Yes. So Colorado's water plan put out this, puts out this charge, hundred million dollars a year, you know, somebody go find it, please. Mm -hmm. uh, so a group of uh, green group NGOs. Um, so environmental defense fund, the nature conservancy, Western resource advocates, the list goes on American rivers. We started thinking, okay, well, how do you, you know, how much you do this? Looked at some different vehicles and then started adding to our table as we're saying, okay, look, Colorado has what's known as the taxpayer bill of rights. It's, it's in shorthand, it's called Tabor in Colorado. Tabor was passed in I think the early nineties and it is extremely limiting on revenues for the state of Colorado. So there's all kinds of different implications of Tabor. One of the big ones that we're so facing. So hold on just one second. Yeah. So basically it's like a, it's like a breaks on the legislature going whole hog on tons of spending. So like it makes the process onerous. Is that kind of what it does? It does. It, it also restricts how budgets are created. It limits the growth of state government. Um, it's indexed to inflation. The biggest thing, though, is it requires uh, that any new tax measure go to voters, go to, go to all mm -hmm. Colorado voters. So the legislature, the governor, can't just come up with new taxation vehicles, no matter how popular um, or non-controversial, everything has to go to a code of the voters. Wow. Um, and when they go to voters, the ballot language, the title question starts with the handicap language of shall taxes be raised by X amount for <laughs> blank. So can uh, I just stop it already, right there though? I love yeah. this in my mind. I have like this, like, you know, kind of like someone in like a <laughs> like some scroll coming out <laughs> shall taxes be raised by ye amounts <laughs> like exactly i love totally. it it's so public forum it's like do you want more tax i mean i'm sure it's really a pain to work with and, and quite onerous and i'm sure people don't really know what they're voting on most of the time but like i do find it very democratic <laughs> it is incredibly democratic um and uh you know it, it it's a marketer's worst nightmare because uh, mm. it doesn't come out and say hey, you guys love clean water and you love our rivers. Don't you want to invest in those? Oh yeah, by the way, it, it's only going to be $100 million. It's mm -hmm. shell taxes be raised by $100 million to fund, you know, X, Y, and Z. Hmm. Some agency you've never heard of and blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's over a dozen tax measures um, in the last 20 years that have gone to voters. Um 
anything, like I said before, from roads and bridges, you know, basic safety stuff, things that are top of mind uh, at every kitchen table in Colorado, uh, schools, higher education, elementary, you know, you name it, dozens of these things have all failed uh, at the ballot. So we started looking into this saying, okay, well, how, how might you raise $100 million? Could you go, you know, do a hotel visitor fee? Yeah, like could a bed you, tax? Yeah, bed tax. Yep. Mm-hmm. So could you raise rates on bottled water or bottled beverages or soda? Could you uh, raise taxes on um, tap fees that, you know, mis- municipal providers and just, you know, add 22 cents to everybody's bill and, and, you know, do the math and figure out if you can get to $100 million that way. The problem with all those, given Colorado's rules, is that each one of those comes with opposition. And you're kicking somebody's dog for $100 million or, you know, some amount of money. And so it instantly gives them the incentive to oppose you and spend a lot of money in opposition because Mm -hmm. if they spend $8 million on a no campaign, that saves them $92 million if you're going at them for a $100 million tax. Mm-hmm. You know, just so these are pretty contentious, contentious fights to have these to actually, it's quite the barrier to actually succeed on one of these things. Exactly. So mm-hmm. dozens have, have tried, they all have failed. The only things that have passed in Colorado and we've grown a reputation for are marijuana, Uh, famously, Mm -hmm. I don't even know, however many years. Colorado, you know, was very early in national legalization uh, of marijuana. We we legalized and taxed marijuana for school infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Previous to that, uh, we had passed an alcohol tax um, Mm -hmm. and that, that was successful. So as we're looking, we're, we're so at this large table. these are kind of like sin table. taxes, essentially, like sin taxes. These are all sin taxes, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so our small green group table grew to a much larger table of uh, water interests from around the state, trying to figure out, you know, can we build a large coalition that could potentially get one of these through? Mm-hmm. Could we get a bottle tax through? And just kept coming back to the answer that the, this is just incredibly difficult. It's, you know, there are so many things in the way, but in, let's see, 20, early 2019, the U.S. Supreme Court came out with a decision lifting the ban on sports betting programs Mm -hmm. in states other than Nevada. Wasn't this uh, New Jersey want to do it first? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Chris Chris Christie was the plaintiff and uh, he was like, you know something like Chris Christie versus the versus NCAA because mm. um, I think collegiate sports were playing it. But yeah, so they the Supreme Court lifted the prohibition on sports betting and a few states were were there and ready saying cool, let's let's allow this, uh, let's regulate it and let's tax it. Sports betting goes on big time anyways. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Nobody wants to go to Vegas and with the internet and with cell phones and uh, offshore bookies, there was a lot of betting going on anyway. So New Jersey was first. They set up a pretty, pretty big program. Um, They were actually ready to go the day that the Supreme Court uh, decided. Um, And so we around the water table said, hey, like this is potentially a vehicle for us. It's strange, but it's, mm-hmm. it fits in with that syntax model. Mm-hmm. We potentially don't 
we go to the voters without opposition um, mm-hmm. because the industry we're taxing actually wants to be taxed. Well, that's They're so seeing- interesting. So instead of like playing different forces against each other, trying to allocate, you know, like a scarce pie of need, you basically just brought your own pie to the table. Exactly. Yeah. And they, you know, this, this essentially is the entry fee the, to the, you know, cr- the market creation mm. fee that, that sports betters said, okay, well, we're going to have to get taxed. Mm-hmm. It might as well go somewhere, you know, because we had primed ourselves and had been thinking about this a lot. We were essentially first to the table um, and made the best case that water should get this money. Mm-hmm. So instead of like um, having it be like educational interests or, you know, some other, you know, yep. needy, needy in a good way, not needy in a bad way, but like, you know, deserving cause. Oh, you guys are really on it. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. So we, um, we worked with the legislature. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, this was uh, being spearheaded by then majority leader Alec Garnett mm-hmm. uh, here in Colorado. We knew he was uh, likely to run this legislation. Um, he had run some fantasy uh, sports legislation previously. Mm-hmm. So we took it to him very, very early and said, hey, look, Alec, like, we know you're going to do this and water should be the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. We know it's not going to be a ton of money, but whatever it is can be very impactful on water. You know, if it's 10 million bucks a year, that makes a pretty good chunk of impact in Colorado water versus education who, like we said earlier, needs billions of dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Colorado water was nonpartisan. It was a statewide issue uh, and it checked a lot of boxes for uh, both Alec Garnett. And then uh, he ran this sort of arm in arm with the minority leader in the house. Which um, was a bipartisan effort. Yeah. So this was bipartisan. It was old fashioned. It was, you know, kumbaya. We had Colorado Cattlemen and Environmental Defense Fund and, you know, you, you name it. We, we were all at the table sort of arm in arm lockstep saying, hey, this, this is a good down payment on Colorado's water plan. Awesome. Okay. So you guys got together. You kind of lobbied all your troops. It seems like it was a successful campaign, right? Like what did you end up passing it by? So we uh, got it through the legislature. Uh-huh. It was a referred measure from the legislature to voters. Uh-huh. Oh, Cause you have to go to the voters. Sorry, I forgot about that. Got to go to okay. voters. Yep. So uh, in November of 2019, the voters narrowly passed this thing. 5149 okay. essentially. And Proposition DD legalized sports betting and sent tax proceeds to Colorado Water Plan implementation cash fund, which just okay. totally rolls off the, the tongue. <laughs> okay. We're going to come back to that. Cause I got, I got to talk to you more about that. Cause that's kind of where the direction we want to go is like, you know, we're trying to kind of figure out, cause I'm sitting here thinking about this and I'm one, no one here on this podcast who's listening in the user audience can steal this idea now. <laughs> Utah has first dibs. We're, we're buying the option in. <laughs> there you go. Because like, I think about this too, because I mean, like here we have Utah 
in a very similar situation, you know, we're about 15 years behind Colorado in terms of our explosive growth, but, you know, honestly, very similar, very similar issues that we're facing, you know, increasing urbanization, you know, like population growth, um, you know, disruptive water systems from climate or drought or infrastructure challenges, you know, there's just a lot going on. And the need is not to come up with the million dollar solution. The need is to come up with the grease that makes the machine work, you know, and I see some kind of source of funding that can be a very well stewarded source of public funds that can kind of like help a lot of these initiatives kind of move um, that they're happening in the state and kind of meet our demands. And I just think this is such a good idea. And I also see that like, you know, Nevada has this in, on our western border, and you are on our eastern border. And like, it would kind of make sense, you know, if both the other states are, you know, this is an accessible thing to do sports betting. I don't know though. Utah's an odd place to Utah's an odd place to pass legislation. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and sports betting in in Utah, um, mm-hmm. you know, may not be uh, you know syntax. Uh, I don't yeah. I don't know how 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 that flies in uh, in Utah, but. Yeah, but I like the idea of bringing my own pie. It might not be sports betting, but I really think that that's really like, you know, what is the thing that we could potentially, you know, everyone would agree on that they're willing to take a little penalty on for the greater good. Yeah, sure. Cool. Okay. So I think this is all very exciting. So you've, you've done the good work of getting all the people together. You know, everyone is kumbayaing their way down the legislature. You bring it to the voters. They narrowly pass it, nail-biting um, election. And then what happens? Like, where are you now? Like, what's the status kind of, are you, are you 11 months in or when did this become enacted? Is it, was it your statutes become enacted in May or, you know, how many months have you had kind of with this in operation? Yeah, so we are six months in, I suppose. Six months, okay. Um, sports betting was uh, legalized May 1st to the unceremonious uh, opening of no professional sports due to oh, COVID. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, go on. Yeah. So <laughs> Colorado uh, betters actually, you know, probably because we had already legalized marijuana, got right down to betting on table tennis. And Table so tennis. the first, the first two months, the number one sport bet on in Colorado was table tennis, and they did so in, you know, not insignificant numbers. Oh my God! Can I just stop here for a moment and just take a beat to say that the number one betting sport is table tennis, and that is a reflection of our times. <laughs> it's pretty strange. June twenty nineteen, you tell people that, and they're gonna just think you're crazy. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, May, the month of May, there were no professional sports, right? Baseball hadn't started yet. Everybody's trying to figure out what to do. There's no basketball. Like normally you in May, you would have NBA playoffs. You would have NHL playoffs. You would have some pretty interesting baseball. But instead, in the month of May, I'm pulling up the numbers, $25 million was wagered. Uh, what? And a lot of that was table tennis. Uh, some international soccer, I think, was thrown in there. A fight or two, um, depending on where those were. And the tax haul that that month was about a hundred grand. Hmm. Okay. Um, 20, $25 million in amounts wagered. Yep. So amounts wagered, that just means like that actually like changed hands then $25 million changed hands between betters. The, yeah, exactly. Okay. It, it does. So our tax is on the profits of the sports books themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you go in, you bet a million dollars on 
the Utah Jazz to win the, the NBA finals mm-hmm. and they do so, that is a loss for the, the sports mm-hmm. book. So mm-hmm. that doesn't actually help, you know, water mm-hmm. uh, in this in this case. So you're taxing so, the bookie and then they just pass that cost along to the actual individual people placing the bets. If they win. Yeah. If they win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There, mm-hmm. there isn't an, a tax on each transaction. Mm-hmm. It's the middleman. Um, you're basically taxing the middleman. You're, you're taxing the, the middleman's profits. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if sports betting is profitable and it is just generally, cause you know, that's, that's the famous line when you go to Vegas, like, all the casinos and hotels and beautiful things in Las Vegas weren't created on the backs of winners. They were created on the backs of losers. Like And the Colorado River. Let's be well, frank. And the Colorado <laughs> River. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, um, you know, thus far, we only have five months of data. Colorado is proving to be a pretty robust sports market. Okay. Uh, people in Colorado love sports Um, we love table tennis the broncos are you know practically a religion we have four you know the four big um professional leagues all in in denver Mm -hmm. so we're proving to be a pretty solid market we're not nevada we're not new jersey and thus far and the the accounting is difficult and imprecise mostly because i'm not in state government but we're you know about 2.2 2.2 million in tax haul thus far in six months well in five months because we only five have five months. months of data yeah that's awesome you know what i mean like but think about what 2.2 million dollars would do like that is like a pretty awesome study on like what the impact of you know switching from one irrigation system to another irrigation system is you know what i mean like that's like enough money to pay someone to lease the water that's enough money to pay for your meters like that you I mean you could do like 2.2 million dollars is enough where like it's the threshold to make the difference on like having some of these really cool projects on the ground just like be able to like get there you know yeah. like answer the questions that we're asking of, of these projects because you can't nickel and dime some of these things because you, you know like if, if the goal is to accelerate problem solving and your issue is that you can't afford six fifteen thousand dollar meters that's a problem you know what i mean <laughs> like <laughs> you For know sure. and, and so i just love this okay so on that note then we're making the money betting on the table tennis we're taxing the bookies i like all this I want to come back to the Colorado, the acronym that you cannot pronounce and that I did not write down completely, but basically like the fund. So now you have the money. What do you do with the money? Yes, that's a very good question. The Colorado Water Conservation Board mm-hmm. is our entity here in Colorado that is going to dole out the money. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like your state engineer, right? Um, or is it more well, like water yeah. resources? It's more like water resources, I suppose. Yeah. We have a state engineer and actually that's the state water resource. Uh, They also have a a bunch of different other jobs, but with respect to this, they make a number of grants every year to do various things. They've got all kinds of different funds. One of their biggest funding mechanisms is severance tax, which is tax on oil and gas extraction. Um, oh, so they get more money than just this fund. They're getting funneled they, money from other sources as well. They do. And this is the problem with Colorado. So mm-hmm. everything's earmarked, right? Every mm-hmm. every little 
tax now has to have a beneficiary and sort of a namesake. So Mm -hmm. everything is tied to these different funds and severance tax, for instance, is a roller coaster ride. Some years Mm -hmm. it's up, some years it's down. Right now it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. And for the next five years, it may be non-existent, you know, mm-hmm. into perpetuity. Like we, mm-hmm. who knows if the oil and gas industry is going to bounce back. Yeah. We have like community impact board funding, which is similar. And then I'm from Wyoming originally. And, you know, we have all of our severance taxes and, then, you know, it's a, growing up in the nineties, we had like the nicest community centers ever for towns of, you know, 3000 people. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and now we can't pay teachers. So, um, right. you know, it's, but that's also kind of why this is so important is like the other big theme, you know, you mentioned kind of like themes that you've, you know, been seeing in your career. I mean, like, this is a pretty obvious one, but it's, not, you know, d- does not hurt to state it again. Like flexibility is the goal. We're moving into a world of just unknowns. And the only thing we can do is like increase yeah. our knowns. And so if we have more tools to solve these problems, like the better. So I think that you know, like having a fund that has multiple income streams, you know, to like balance out a you know, severance tax. What was the fund's name again? I'm sorry there. I didn't, I didn't catch the fund's name. I just got that it was from the Colorado Water Conservation Board. Colorado Water Plan Cash Implementation Fund. So we didn't spend any money on the marketing. We just, just, you know, called it what it is. Hey, simple. (laughs) Keep it simple. Okay. A fund for implementation of the water plan. So they do grants. And so then like, what are the kind of projects that it's funded? Has it actually gone to fund any projects yet? You know, how do they assess the water user or how do they assess the grants? Is it just something that was mentioned in the report? How does that process work? Yeah, so not yet. We are awaiting this anxiously. Um, mm-hmm. What looks like is going to happen um, just because, you know, this is how state government operates. This money likely will hit the ground in 2022. Oh, okay. Uh, so you're going to get like a little cash, the, like a big pill, kind of like a little bit of a, a nest egg done. Yep, exactly. They will spend this money in arrears. Mm -hmm. That way they know exactly how much money they've got. Mm -hmm. So they'll let a year's pile up and then make plans therein, you know, for the previous year or for the next year. One of the the things that is challenging with sports betting is it's really hard to forecast how much money this is going to be. Thus far, I think it's 19 states now that have legalized sports betting in the United States. Mm. Rhode Island was one of the first Rhode Island got their program started. I want to say kind of like fall maybe. And Rhode Island doesn't have its own football team, but they're all Patriots fans. Mm -hmm. And so a bunch of new England Patriots fans started betting when the program was very, very new in Rhode Island, the Patriots just happened to go on and win the Super Bowl that year. So all these guys are betting on their home team Mm -hmm. and they're winning those bets. So for the first few months of of Rhode Island's Mm -hmm. program, it was actually a loser. Like they, Hmm. they collected zero tax revenue. Hmm. That's funny. So we've seen this in Colorado already, you know, the first four months of data that we have May, June, July, August, we saw pretty steady growth in the, in the money uh, because sports started to come online. So we saw, you know, May was about hundred grand, June was 200 grand, July was 240 grand, mm-hmm. August was back down to 190 and then September hit. And that was our first month of NFL and the tax take for September was $70,000. And mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, what's going on? And in part, betters were, were doing well. Mm-hmm. The sports books weren't. 
And the sports books were putting out a bunch of loss leaders. So they were giving away free bets to entice people to come join their mm-hmm. books. Got so they weren't advertising very profitable it in September. And mm-hmm. so the numbers reflect that. So it's, And then with sports betting with 19 states doing it, like it, does that also reduce some of the income too? Because like, does it, I mean, just having more, I mean, I'm assuming most of this is like internet based. So can I make bets in like Rhode Island and be like by having more states do it, does it reduce the pie or is that not really a factor? In Colorado, it's not really a factor unless you have, you know, people in Moab who are like, oh, I really want to bet on something. So I'm going to drive to Colorado. You have to f- be physically in the four walls of okay. Colorado on an app and, you know, these phones geolocate. It is an issue in New York, New Jersey. So you have people in New York who will hop on the subway, go to New Jersey, place bets, and then go home to New York. Indiana gets spillover from Chicago, although Illinois just recently legalized their program. So some other states do get spillover. Las Vegas is a, you know, huge draw for gambling in Mm -hmm. non-COVID times. So they get spikes from other areas of the country, but Colorado, not so much. We don't really have any border cities that are a tennis table, that, that, uh, table tennis is super hot. I gotta gotta jump over the border. (laughs) Maybe Cheyenne, Wyoming. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. So I got one other question before you um, on this, because like, I'm just kind of like in my mind, like putting together like the big pieces, which I love, you know, I love that you guys found a new fund for taxation that was, would you know not have opposition that everybody could get on the bandwidth for. I love that. I love that it's distributed through, <clears throat> you know, this fund that has multiple revenue streams and that, you know, basically you're co- trying to coordinate activities with your state plan, which is something that I think that we, you know, could do a better job here in Utah, even though we have made great efforts. What I'm seeing from my world and kind of where I sit and, you know, I've got, you know, the good fortune of having a fair amount of good work where I get to do a lot of cool projects, a lot of folks across the state. I'm seeing there's like this project over here that like is kind of doing 60% of what this project over here wants to do, you know, and like, for example, there's a grant program to do an ag optimization demonstration project, you know, we're kind of like experimenting with some kind of like consumptive values like you and I were talking about earlier, like, Mm -hmm. you know, how can we reduce the consumptive use of use so that that the additional saved water can be you know marketed or you know um you know used for another purpose and then the other thing is we have this water banking project here in utah and the purpose of the water banking project is to kind of explore you know implementation of this new water banking statute that we passed and i'm pretty intimately involved with that project and in my mind it was like if we could have just had you know one or two more conversations in two months of timing we could have located one of those ag optimization task force projects in one of our demonstration projects and kind of gotten like double bang for our buck and so you know, now that you have this pot of money and now that you have the needs identified by this plan, do you see any movement or any traction in Colorado to kind of like knit the activities together in a way that makes sense? You know, like when these grants are applied, are there points for like co-benefits or like, you know, are we talking about things about, you know, a big issue we see here is that everybody wants to install technology, but like the technology needs to talk to each other. And so like, to me, it seems like this fund would also be just like a fantastic way to kind of like coordinate some of that background structural decision making that might really help people out. Have, has that something that you see happening or a potential to happen there? It's certainly a conversation that we've had post victory. You know, this was a victory, you know, with all the water stakeholders kind of at the table. So Colorado Cattlemen's and 
environmental groups, the Denver Chamber of Commerce, you know, you name it. And so the Colorado Water Conservation Board historically has not spread the money around that they have from their other grant programs, you know, equally necessarily. Mm -hmm. So big, big projects get a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. But you can make sizable impact in our water world with smaller projects or, you know, shared multi-beneficial projects or Mm -hmm. You know, projects that don't have a huge amount of infrastructure, but have, you know, interesting policy around them. Or um, data collection, you know, like you know, we were talking collection. earlier before yeah. the, you know, the podcast, you know, like open ET, like if all the demonstration projects in the state had a component that explored or like built our open ET capabilities, that seems like a double benefit, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and that's kind of where I'd like to, I feel like that's like next step water policy. Like, I feel like we're really good at like the individual bites. And like, I'd like to kind of start thinking more about like, how do we just build like a better ecosystem for water decision making, you know? So yeah, anyway, so you generally the fund is kind of given money to large projects. Like, do you have ability to participate or give your thoughts to the, to the board or to the people who are behind the fund granting? Like, can, is that a public process or can you submit comments or thoughts? Yeah. So the, the process that we went through um, and it's, it's still ongoing and actually um, COVID, you know, sort of interrupted was that, big table that created this pot of money in the first place came together and said, all right, now that we've won this, let's make sure it's distributed equally, which isn't that sophisticated necessarily, except it's pretty revolutionary in Colorado. It's like, it's saying, Hey, you know, uh, river health should get as much money out of this pot of money as storage or, Hmm agricultural improvements or you know, municipal conservation or forest health. So do you basically have them like 10 subcategories and then you can like apply for funding under one of those 10 subcategories? Yeah. So we, what we thought of and, and haven't finished implementing yet um, were, I think it ended up being six buckets mm-hmm. saying, Hey, look, like any project that is multi-beneficial across these buckets, definitely give them priority. They get an extra penny in the jar. But also as a board, you know, definitely make a priority to spend this money as equally as possible over some time frame. You know, maybe it's five years and you potentially, you know, make a huge investment one year in one of the buckets. Maybe there's a great uh, water reuse program that you could invest in, but it's going to be, you know, $42 million one year. The next year, come back and say, all right, we spent $42 million in that bucket. So we're going to plus up the other buckets mm-hmm. and, and make sure that on a five-year, say, running average, you're spending money equally across the various you know, kind of needs of water uh, in the state. Mm-hmm. So you can so have some flexibility still, built in. Um, in the works. And we have a lot of support from everybody around the table on that. And then our water agency is currently looking at all their water grant programs and figuring out, you know, just taking a look under the hood, making sure that everything is uh, coordinated, make sure there's a doubling up or overlap um, between different grant programs, figure out if there's additional synergies because, you know, we're, we're in increased and heightened need for water. Drought is, you know, clamping down on the state and we don't have any more water. Like the line I always use is, uh, Water and money are scarce in Colorado. Um, 
Or so I would uh, say water flow is a pill to money. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there's a, a lot of work and a lot of good work being done to optimize the amount of money that we've got, which is not a lot. And, mm-hmm. and how do we best invest that to make an impact on the limited amount of water that we've got and, and keep the values, you know, the core values of Colorado of great productive agriculture and healthy, vibrant rivers and, you know, cities that people want to continue to move to and, and live in and, and work and recreate and all that. Well, I think that's a great way to end. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, I think if we can do things to promote those pillars of, you know, like what makes a quality life. Yes. I think that's a success. And I have to tell you, so Brian, I'm like very excited about this. I just feel like the time is to really kind of start. I think everyone's always been always very invested in water. Like I, by no means have, you know, our water development efforts or, or, you know, to commitment ever been waning here in the state of Utah, but we just have an uncertain future, you know? And so I just find that these, these themes, these concepts that kind of like help kind of turn those gears a little faster I just love and I think that there's so many things here that we could potentially take and look at from a Utah perspective so first thank you for your succinct you know description of things but two you know thank you for like being an advocate for this I think this is really cool and hopefully something that other states can kind of model or tweak for their own purposes absolutely yeah happy to do it I will give you an epilogue Oh, epilogue. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a statewide measure and that was 2019 and it won and it narrowly passed, but you know, it's, it's going to generate money. Since then, we, we've decided that statewide is just too darn difficult, right? Like, mm. like for all the things we said. So just this November on the presidential uh, ballot, we had two separate water measures at a regional scale. One, which was, you know, basically three counties and the other, uh, which was half our state, the Colorado River Conservancy District, both of those measures passed no problem. Hmm. Like okay. 70%. Awesome. Mesa County, which is where Grand Junction is, uh-huh. the water tax in Mesa County, which generates like 8 million bucks a year, the tax in Mesa County passed 69 to 30. Lauren Bobert, who is a pretty controversial Congresswoman won that same county 61-34 as a Republican. Donald Trump won that 62-35. Mm-hmm. So a water tax beat the president by seven points and the Republican Congresswoman elect by eight points mm-hmm. uh, in a really conservative district. And oh, so yeah. mm-hmm. hopefully that gives you and Utah hope too, is that like, Water is pretty nonpartisan and, uh, and it's popular. If, if you can show, you know, that, that this is going to go to local benefit, stay within a community and get good things going on the ground. So, yeah, no water is for the people, you know, and, I, and people get it. And that's what I think is such an interesting field to work in is that like there is just this common ground. Like you have to come to common ground on it. Otherwise, you know, people start suffering. And so it is one of those unique resources that with the right education, which I think is the biggest issue. And you you alluded to that a lot throughout this talk, but like, you know, getting people's fluency on why it's important is is a reach, but I think people inherently get it once they do. And they're like, no, this is worth the, worth the investment. So. Cool. Well, doubly beneficial and optimistic ending tone. Yeah. <laughs> that blog, I was so scared there for a moment. I was, uh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. 
Well, Brian, hopefully we can talk to you again at some point in time. I'd love to hear about some of the other projects EDF has going on. And thank you for your time. Yeah, appreciate the chat. Nothing said in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. This podcast was produced by Mackenzie Nichols. Find Ripple Effect on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.